0: From Salone del Moble in Milan, this is a special edition of Midori House on Monocle 24. I'm Ben Ryland. Today is the second in our series of special episodes of Midori House, brought to you in partnership with our friends at Hyundai, that we're broadcasting to our audience right through the week until Sunday. Today I'll be joined by a panel of very special guests to discuss the concept of mobility and how it informs the design process, from urbanism to how we can harness the wonders of technology that benefit everyone. That's ahead on this special edition of Midori House, live from the Salone del Mobile in Milan, starting now. Welcome to Opaficio 31 on Via Tortona. You're tuned to a very special edition of Midori House, live from Milan, during this city's liveliest week. It is, of course, Design Week. Over the next 30 minutes, we'll be hearing from a panel of exciting guests, starting right now with a familiar voice to listeners of Monocle 24. It is the fabulous Gillian DeBias. Gillian, welcome back.
1: Buenasera, Ben. It's lovely to be here at Salerno de Mobile for Monocle 24.
0: Well, indeed, it's lovely to see you back with us. And uh, tell me, what have you managed to see at, well, all manner of events that are happening around the city at the moment? The, The city is really alive right now, isn't it?
1: I think what I always like when I come here is to walk the streets and they, have, uh, they put up signs where you can dip into courtyards and churches and unexpected places. So I've kind of made it my mission to really uh, look for the not obvious places, uh, but the unexpected places. And you see these uh, little creative hubs of emerging designers and uh, installations that this year I find are using sound and technologies in really creative ways to kind of uh, make you think about design and uh, and the city we cities we live in.
0: Well, indeed, and we'll get to some more about some of those exciting events a little later in this program. Uh, it is a little rainy here in Milan this evening. I am pleased to say that the rain has managed to clear away just a little bit. It would take, of course, much more than that to rain on our parade. Uh, our next guest, our first guest this evening, in fact, knows a thing or two about other big events like the one we're in right now. He's serving as curator of the next Shenzhen Biennale of Urbanism and Architecture. That's just one of the many hats he's wearing, the Daniele Belleri. Welcome to Midori House. Hi, it's great pleasure to be here. Well, it's, a, it's a pleasure for us to be welcoming you here, uh, we've been talking all about uh, mobility in the city and of course it would be remiss to skip over all, this, all the discussion we've been hearing about uh, autonomous cars uh, and uh, real or otherwise and, and those, the ideas that, that go into automating all manner of our daily habits. Uh, tell me more about how you see the driverless future.
2: Yeah, that's a great topic. It's a very relevant topic for the future of the cities. And let me just make a very short premise. And so um, I work for CRA, that's a design office that is based in Turin and in New York. And it's a design office and we try to work in different scales and we're always interested in understanding how digital technologies are impacting how we live in the cities. And so of course, uh, mobility is one of the most important topics when we discuss the future of cities and in general urbanization. And we've been working a lot with mobility, Uh, also uh, with the lab at MIT that our founder is directing. It's called Sensible City Lab. So somehow, what we do at CRA draws from the research done at MIT in the field of mobility, and we try to apply them with real real clients like in a for-profit mode. So that's the the framework in which I'm I'm working from. And uh, about mobility, well, let's say that what is happening right now is that the Internet of Things is uh, becoming the internet of roads, internet of cars, we might even say inter- internet of bicycles. So what is happening is that digital technologies are entering the physical space and are changing how we conceive cities, including mobility. And if we think at autonomous vehicles, they're one of the most clear examples of all these phenomena is taking place. Because cars are transitioning from being just mechanical vehicles in, from the cent- 20th century to more or less um, computer on wheels. So there are more and more sensors, there are hundreds and hundreds of sensors on each car that can monitor any kind of variable. And these sensors are becoming so precise that now cars are uh, about to become able to drive themselves with no uh, no drivers.
1: We're in a city, um, uh, uh, the city of Milan, and it has you know centuries of building these winding roads and cobblestones, and there are people in them. How realistically is it to merge technology with the heartbeat of a city, and not forget about the people who actually still need cards as well? How how does technology take into account the the uh, the people in an ancient city, really?
2: Well, that's a great question because when we think about technology, we usually think at uh, big cities in which there's sort of like this tabularized idea of like technology that is reshaping our leave completely. But in fact, we think it is much more interesting to take a look at how technology is impacting existing places and, how, mm-hmm. and taking into account people's needs and their habits. And one consideration that we can do in general is that digital technologies are very different from technologies from the 20th century. So we're not talking about industrial uh, technologies, but something that is much lighter. And so it doesn't need, uh, uh, we don't need to rethink the urban infrastructure to accommodate uh, autonomous vehicles. I mean, 100 years ago, we needed to rebuild our cities to accommodate cars. We needed to build much bigger roads. So we needed to expand the city in a different direction. Now what is happening is that probably self-driving cars, among other new technologies, can find a place even in very old cities like Milan. Of course, it will need a transition. We need to make it very, uh, we need to think of the possible consequences. They might even be uh, negative. So we really need to be aware of that and manage the transition in a careful way. But we think that there is a possibility of, and the challenge is very exciting, to integrate these kind of technologies even in an old city like Milan.
0: One of the things I often hear about uh, when, when people talk about the autonomous future, uh, some people can find that a little bit alarming, this idea that everything's going to be automated and humans won't be needed anymore. And I often think that that plays into this idea that maybe maybe we're designing ourselves out of the design process, that somehow the human is being removed from whatever we are designing. But that's not really what we're all about when we talk about uh, the driverless future or, or even designing anything in the future, is it? The idea should be that we're designing to complement the human experience. How do you see those two things working with each other and complementing each other?
2: Well, it's a great question. And I think that we can probably frame this issue from maybe I can give you an example of a project that we were on a few like uh, it was last year. And um, our office, URA, has been working with Sidewalk Labs in Toronto. And as you know, they are um, having this very big project of a new uh, uh, digitally augmented city in there. And so they asked us to help to develop a prototype that they were uh, studying since uh, some time. And uh, the project that was presented last year is called the Dynamic Street. And it, the idea is to have this paving system that can change through the day to accommodate different needs. So we can imagine a future when self-driving cars will be on the road. And one of the main advantages of self-driving cars is not that they will allow us to free our end from the steering wheel to send messages, but one of the main advantages is that they will uh, usher in a completely different uh, scenario in terms of living the city. So perhaps we can imagine that uh, a street in the morning will uh, have a series of Uh, like the space can be dedicated for maybe in the morning for people who are commuting and going to job but then maybe when the uh, school time ends and so the old pupils are going out then probably the street can take a different form and they can turn into a pedestrian place and so right now we cannot do that because the road system of the past is very uh, uh, rigid it's not flexible with driving cars and with this kind of paving system that we developed the idea is that by uh, recombi- recombining and uh, using a system of uh, illumination and different lights, we can change how the, st- the, the road is used during the day. So probably in the night, the same street can become something, uh, something else again. Maybe it can become a space for like urban parties or, you know, for instance, we see here in Talone, in Ortona, there are many people in the street and there are so many people that they are sort of flooding the, the road and the cars cannot pass, but cars are still there. So why don't we imagine a scenario in which we can change in a more flexible way and so the urban infrastructure can change and can accommodate different needs for instance with this flexible system for paving.
1: We talk about cities as if they're one organism, as if every city around the world is like, but we know that is not true. Now you were working at the Shenzhen Biennale. I'm wondering about the cultural specificity of cities when it comes to mobility in the future of uh, transportation.
2: Well, let me say, first of all, I want to specify that I'm just one of many people working in the Shenzhen Biennale. I'm working as an executive curator, but the chief curator uh, is uh, Carlo Ratti. And we're working also with great partners at the Polytechnic in, uh, in Turin with Michele Bonino and also with a Chinese partner uh, at the South China University of Technology in Guangzhou and also with the Polytechnic of Milano. So it's a, it's a very big team. I'm very happy and excited to be part of it. And if we talk about future mobility, and I think that China is really one of the places where we can... Observe some of the greatest challenges of the future. Shenzhen, as you know, is a very new city. It doesn't exist almost 30 years ago. And so, what is happening there, we see a lot of uh, different habits. And one of the things that is more, uh, is really uh, outstanding when you go there. For instance, um, there are a lot of electric vehicles. And you imagine the scene of a, of a Chinese city where there are many people going around, and those scooters and those bicycles, but everything is silent. Because they are transitioning towards this mobility, this is uh, completely electric. So you just walk, and there are a lot, a lot of vehicles, but everything is silent, and you can hear the the sound of people's feet. And so it's a completely and new honking experience. honking
1: horns like in Italy or. Uh, they <laughs> are,
2: they are, but they are not swearing. In Italy, <laughs> we do that and we swear. Here, you just see a bang, but the people are not. Are not swearing anything. <laughs> Uh, Daniele Bereri it was uh, such a pleasure speaking to you today that's
0: Daniele Bereri from Colorati uh, Associati. thank you for coming in and joining us on Midori House uh, you are listening to a very special edition of Midori House with me Ben Rylan, and Gillian Tobias is here with me uh, well, as well uh, coming to you from the Salone del Merble in Milan we've got much more to come up next many people get these things wrong I go into a lot of jazz clubs and I go what made you build it like this these days, everyone's got an opinion about design. Join us on our journey to cut through the noise. We sit down with the design greats. It's just bloody-minded inquisitiveness, really. And have you covered on everything from architecture to product design and fonts to fashion? There's so many collections being designed. Actually, there may is a lifespan on a designer's role at the helm of a brand. And, of course, we're at all the key events in the design calendar with in-depth reports from our global network of correspondents.
3: Two and a half
2: hours by train from Amsterdam lies the historic city of Maastricht, which every year hosts the fabulous Tafa Fair.
0: Perhaps intuitively, Monocle on Design is Monocle's weekly design show. Tune in every Tuesday at 1900 London time or download the podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Welcome back to the Salone del Mobile here in Milan. Ben Ryland with you for this very special edition of Midori House. And Gillian DeBias is still with me as well. Gillian, we are having a lovely evening. The rain has just started up again. So if any listeners can hear the pitter-patter of raindrops, that's because they are quite literally falling from the sky. Luckily, we have a roof.
1: And a perfect way to introduce our next guest, whose installation is called Aqua.
0: Indeed, it is. Our next guest is the clever mind behind one of the most fascinating installations at this year's event. Aqua, as Gillian says, presents a subterranean view of Milan's basin of the Incoronata. It's a site-specific experience, so if you want to know what it's all about, You'll have to make your way over to Via San Marco. But to give us an idea, I am joined now by the man who created it, Marco Balic. Marco, thanks so much for joining us on Midori House. It could almost be said that you created this in collaboration with
3: Leonardo da Vinci, could it not? Well, that's uh, kind of a <laughs> uh, strong statement. But anyway, <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun because I'm not a designer, I'm uh, not even an architect. I'm, uh, Creator of events and experiences. So when the Salone asked me to do something, uh, my office is right in front of this place where Leonardo da Vinci worked, and he developed all the engineering of the locks. And obviously, was treated like very badly by you know like many things in Italy. So we said, let's restore it and let's have an experience within uh, the basin of the uh, of the canal, and uh, let's. Uh, have an experience of about the obsession that Leonardo have for water and drops and so quite rightly today is raining so aqua is <laughs> a very uh, good uh, metaphor of what is that experience which is being immersed in a in a kind of uh, game with strobes and, and drops and water and that's the first level of it and the second since Salone is is uh, is, is about uh, telling about urbanism and, and design and architecture. I thought it was very interesting to, like Leonardo had a vision long time ago, 500 years ago actually. So it was interesting to see how it would be uh, a city with waterways, because nobody knows but Milan was like Amsterdam once until the 60s. And then it was because of the traffic, it was all the canals were covered. And since I'm from Venice, I'm kind of keen to have the water back on the streets. And, and so we envision a, a sort of a Milan in, in, 19, in 2049, actually. And uh, so we thought that, uh, you know, the mobilization is done with boat sharing, small capsule that goes around, and uh, the garbage is picked up by drones. So that is in a huge screen in front of this canal that we flooded and so we play games and (laughs) it's about the experience of seeing the future.
1: You talk about the experience. I came down this morning and Saloni is just uh, so busy and so hectic and you absorb so much information and I was really quite surprised at how I found your installation very moving. Like I really was quite touched by it. And I'd quite like uh, to pull the curtain back and for you to talk a little bit about the creative team that put this together and why it's important uh, to create an experience for people to care maybe about the issues of a city and care about maybe changing it in the future of their own city?
3: Well, first of all, I, I usually do uh, big shows like Olympic ceremonies for living. So I always gather very strong teams around me. So we ask some very interesting young creators uh, like Noni Collective for this uh, installation underneath and Above, we had the uh, Territory Studios, which is a London-based uh, studio, very important. They do all the, they did the Blade Runner, sort of, uh, sh- scenography for, for the last Blade Runner 2049. So we worked all together. We we tried to give an experience to the people because, as you said, there's so much around, and, and, and it was, our aim was to send, to, to, to you know, make people understand Maybe if you don't know Leonardo, if you don't know, you know what what is all about uh, this fascinating figure, <coughs> this giant figure, which um, if we try to, you know, convey an experience that would trigger some seeds of curiosity about his his work, his immense body of work, and yet retain the the sort of the conversation about does it matter to have waterways in, in today in a urban city because they kill the traffic so. Some people are, you know, very keen to have them, and some other say, "No, it blocks traffic and it creates." But to me, it's uh, it, to add water in, in the city. It's it's uh, it's a touch of beauty. So that was the the message, and um, so. Tell me about this idea of being able to get around a
0: city. Uh, I think when, when we look at an event like the Salone del Mobile, uh, we can see that clearly there are so many people out in the streets of Milan really enjoying themselves, soaking up this carnival atmosphere that's taken over the city. How would that event play out if it were in a city that didn't have the kind of infrastructure needed to be able to get these people around to where they need to be? Because I know you were talking earlier about uh, how you can sometimes feel... uh, You you feel as though you missed the idea of the canals in the city. Is that... I mean, has there been some sort of argument in Milan as to how the city should grow and accommodate the people who live here and, and how they'll be able to use the city and get around?
3: There is an ongoing conversation that is very dear to the mayor of Milan about opening up the canals, and uh, so, and there is a big discussion about that if, if it's worth it because it's a lot of money and it's if it's meaningful. if it does help the sort of the livable uh, quality of life that uh, we all hope to to get in the future cities. Uh, also, for me, it was very important to 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 try to to. Uh, reflect about the fact that Milan is one of the most interesting design weeks around the world and uh, so it was interesting to say that we have a 500 years sort of history of design because Leonardo was an artist but was a designer so uh, this, it came to my mind that those kind of events has to have roots and this is a root this is, you know there are roots about design and, and you know uh, uh, creating artifacts that are meaningful to our everyday life, and it was based on this experience that Leonardo was one of the most evident sort of promoter of that. So, to me, it was interesting. You know, we have a lot of Chinese, Koreans, Asian, South Americans coming in, and maybe they don't know about Leonardo, but just to understand that design here is part of our soul, and and is part of the history of the city.
1: You're from Venice, but you uh, work in Milan. Do you feel that the Milanese, you know, they care for their food, they care for their design. Do they care about the city? And uh, do they want to uh, have a voice in how their city evolves?
3: That's a big question. Um, I cannot talk on behalf of Milanese. What I do care is that we need to protect our fragile sort of uh, urban centers. European cities are fragile and, and they are attacked by uh, you know, quality of air, traffic, etc. So um, I think when you highlight that specific part of the city, which is in Brera, in the heart of Brera, n- nobody knew that you know, Leonardo worked in there. And we actually got the original drawing where he developed the locks. And the fact that the locks engineered by Leonardo are still used today in Panama or in Suez Canal it's fantastic, no? and to have it there right you know, in that uh, place, I, th- I think it was a fantastic coincidence too. And it was worth mentioning to all these curious people that go around and want to learn about things.
0: Marco Balic, you are a man of many talents. We could talk to you for, for much, much longer. Sadly, time is against us this evening, but thank you very much for joining us. And can I say, you are the most sensibly dressed man that we've had in here. <laughs> uh, with the water coming out of the sky, you've come in in this great big raincoat, and you look very safe and dry. Clearly, he's a man who works with water, Gillian.
1: And Italian style. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. Marco Balic, thanks very much for joining us uh, here at Midori House. It's a special edition of Midori House, broadcasting live from the Salone del Mobley here in Milan We have much more to come up next Weighing in at almost 400 pages The Monocle guide to cosy homes Is packed with everything you need to know About making a great place to live The book is filled with handsome residences And all the contacts you need To make a home that will last a lifetime And it's a book that celebrates The people who know homes Should be able to cope with kids, dogs And a few scuff marks too It's a book that knows a home is only as good as the community it's in. And it's a book that takes you through the front doors of everything from mountain hideaways to modernist towers. So be cosy and buy your copy today at monocle.com. You are back with a special edition of Midori House, broadcasting live from the Salone del Mobile here in Milan. Gillian DeBias, still with me. Gillian, what a lovely program we're having. Uh, I am pleased to say that we are joined by one of Monocle's correspondents now. Fittingly enough, he's our Milan correspondent, uh, Ivan Cavallio, Thank you so much for making your way over to the Monocle Twenty Four pop-up radio station here in Milan. How has the Salone been for you so far this year? It's been
4: pretty relaxed, I think, so far. Relaxed. I, that's not a word I expected, to be honest.
1: Person called it relaxed. I've
4: uh, I've done it quite a few years now, so uh, I know uh, what days to avoid. Say going to the fairgrounds uh, as opposed to going around town. And uh, <laughs> I'm I'm very fortunate in that I live in Brera, and So Brera has now become a design district. So I can literally walk out of my house, turn a corner, and see interesting things uh, within. You know five steps, so uh, I'm quite fortunate uh, where i where I live
0: well he he knows what days to avoid I'm not sure I know what day it is at the moment, but uh tell me more about what an event like this does for the city of Milan the, I must admit this is the first time I've been in Milan, so I am seeing it probably I assume at its best. uh Give me a bit of a comparison here what what does an event like the Salone say about this city
4: It's really a catalyst I mean Fashion Week in Milan, uh, there is traffic, there is movement of people, and it brings uh, money to the, the city in terms of the uh, hotels and taxis. Um, but Salone and everything around it is, is huge because residents feel the event themselves because every neighborhood opens up, or almost every neighborhood. I believe Julia mentioned before that you can go and explore courtyards, spaces that even residents maybe didn't know about. In buildings and you find amazing things and I think that's what's great about the design week. Milan is in some ways a bit provincial after you know design week because it it quiets down awfully I mean an awful lot I mean I I go out of my house next week it's very very quiet and I'm pretty central so it's very interesting I mean the number of people here are in 350,000 400,000 it's quite a lot
1: uh, I think my very first uh, Saloni was when Monocle first launched, and I think Ive and we were together then, and I'm interested to hear from you how it's evolved, how it's changed, other than the size. I mean, what, do you notice any sort of shifts and how it's changed? Well,
4: I think some neighborhoods uh, go up in in standing. You know, it's it's quite interesting who can sort of uh, tailor made uh, you know an area and make it more exciting. Uh, but and it's, and it's a challenge, and also new spaces open up. Just the other day, um, I had a chance to get a preview. Uh, i mean, really it's it's becoming too two weeks this this event because there's a lot of press previews for local journalists the week before and there was a space that was the last remaining factory it was a uh, they were producing wool in the Isola uh, neighborhood and this is now going to become a foundation not, not not just for for art but also workshops and so this space will you know live on after Salone and uh, I think that's quite interesting and in that it'll be also be used for for the community um, you know so there's always these these new areas that that are growing and and is moving out from the traditional areas like Cortona, uh, and that now, of course, Brera, where I live. And so there's always something new to to explore. And I think that's great for the city. And it's also great for the residents.
0: Ivan, we were hearing just a little bit earlier from the lovely Marco Balak about his installation here, which is very much about blending the ideas of Milan's past with its future. And now, I'm, when I visit Italian cities, uh, and of course, there are so many Italian cities and they're all so different from each other but often you can go into an Italian city and and not really have an immediate appreciation for just how much history is in all of these cities and sometimes it feels as though that history can weigh down on the city in a way. It can can prevent people from thinking forward about what's possible for the city's future. How do you see the past here in Milan relating to the plans for its future?
4: You know, Milan is a, a... was an industrial city. It's now sort of post-industrial because there's not any real manufacturing here in in the city center, except for small uh, artisans. Um, but it, you know, it's moving beyond uh, that history while while respecting it, because you do see a lot of spaces that do do get converted, and yet there are signs that people can can see that this was once you know a, a space that related to, to the important past, especially of the economic boom years, when uh, there was a lot of people being drawn here for for for, for jobs. Um, But, you know, Milan now, um, you know, it's very much the the economic engine uh, of Italy. It's drawing all the investment. There's something on the order of 30% of of the foreign investment comes to the city, and it's quite remarkable. And, of course, I think also because of the, let's say, some of the problems in Rome uh, that that city has, that Milan has also gained, uh, I'd say, in recent years also, it's become quite a magnet and an attractor. Um, And it's moving forward, and there are new districts, too, like uh, Porta Nuova, where it used to be the former. Railroad yards, where you do see still some of the the traces of what that heritage was, but now there's a park. There's of course Bosco Verticale, which is a quite well-known apartment complex with the the vegetation, which is becoming sort of a symbol of sort of eco housing. Um, but you have to remember that it had an industrial past, uh, which is now moving into sort of a a post-industrial situation um, and of course around that of course is design because around Milan outside in Brianza, which we don't get to see here is where you really have uh, I call it the the Silicon Valley of, of, of furniture manufacturing because I come from Silicon Valley in California and here you have the that that in the equivalent for for furniture and design.
1: I went to the um, Ventura Central which is um, design in disused train tunnels at the central station I've always loved the central train station in Milan um, do the Italians uh, love their train network, does it work, do you find uh, it's a country that uh, has a good connection to to, to train transport?
4: Well I- the, the high-speed trains, high trains are the high-speed trains are doing uh, great uh, for the country uh, when you get to the regional level, the suburban level not so good but for example tomorrow I'm going to see the construction site of the one of the new metro lines uh, which will connect Lenate airport to downtown so that'll be uh, an important thing which, which Milan needs because Milan's making a lot of uh, advances in, in terms of mobility with car sharing it's uh, one in three Milanese have a subscription to a car sharing service it's, it's a huge uh, boom for this, for the this city. Uh, and with that, that, that metro line it 's going to help in terms of the uh, the mobility and also with the many you know bike sharing services, even though some i, I don 't love because people leave their bikes now anywhere, um, but you know uh, if more people are are off their uh, their, their, their scooters that pollute that 's probably a good thing because we have to you know improve the air quality, which is always a concern uh, it has been a concern, and something that 's also going to be looked at looking at now politicians are looking at so you know it, Milan is moving forward and, and this is this week it really gives you that, that sort of confidence that the city is is going in the right direction. Do you think it'll be a challenge
0: to get Italians to uh, embrace the notion of public transport sometimes? I mean, I, speaking as, as an Australian, I can tell you that we have a bit of a culture that embraces the car, not because we're aggressive about it, but just because that's how it's always been for a lot of people. And, and to say to someone, actually, no, now you can't have your car. We'd like you to get inside this cramped train. At peak hour instead. Uh, preferably, that's not going to be the, the description of your commute, of course. Uh, but is that going to be a challenge to get people to get used to this idea that, you know, public transport is actually better. It's better for you, it's better for everyone.
4: Well, I'm a native Californian, so I know that sort of car culture, the car dependency. And, you know, in Italy, in Milan, for example, uh, about 15 years ago, you had about 60 cars for every 100 residents. That's gone down. That's gone down now to about 50. Of course, if you look at Paris and London, uh, that have very much invested in these kinds of schemes for uh, you know traffic and and, and bike sharing and, and whatnot. They're they're around thirty cars per one hundred inhabitants. So Milan still has a, a long way to go. But I think with the measures they're now implementing, where we've we've had a congestion charge like London for about six years we've had now just in the last month and a half a second one which will apply to basically all of the city looking at taking out the most polluting you know cars from Monday to Friday which will be I think a a very important step so that in in maybe 10 years the the mayor who I spoke to uh, for our special Salone weekly newspaper he was saying he would hope in say 10 years we could get that number down to forty cars per you know one hundred inhabitants which is which is good it 's not not where Paris is where London is right now, but it 's a step in the right direction and I think with the car sharing being really a boom, you have you know half a dozen operators from uh, from from any you also have you know electric car car sharing so the Milanese have been very, very receptive of that, so I think the, they 're moving in the right direction but, but, you know bike bike lanes and and people getting on their bikes. I don't think we'll become Amsterdam. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I, I think it's it's still not quite. You know, there's a culture of the of the most you know, of the scooter, so that has to be dealt with. Uh, but by going this direction uh, and not trying to. To, to, to ban or, or just, it's more and you know, disincentivize the, the people from, you know, getting into your car maybe, when you can maybe take uh, that metro, and if there's now going to be another metro line connecting between stations and getting you to the airport, that'll be a good thing, and so, you know, maybe in a few years, uh, we can see those numbers going down even more. Absolutely. It's nice
0: not to have the, all, all the pressure of driving sometimes as well. I tell you what, I caught that fast train in between uh, Naples and Rome once. Couldn't believe how quick and smooth the journey was. Uh, well, indeed, that brings us to the end of tonight's edition of Midori House, a very special edition brought to you live from the Salone del Mobile here in Milan. A big thanks to all of our guests this evening, Marco Ballec, Daniele Balleri, Ivan Cavallio, of course, thanks to you. And Gillian DeBias, sitting in front of me, very big thanks to you. Thank you for joining us again on Midori House.
1: Arrivederci.
0: Today's show was produced uh, here in Milano by Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Daphne Carnitas. Our studio manager was Bill Lutie. And back in London, steering the ship was May Lee Evans. Bill is sticking around next with some music handpicked by Bill himself, so do stay tuned for that. At twenty hundred Milan time, that's nineteen hundred if you're in London, It's The Urbanist. The Monocle Daily wraps up the day in news and current affairs live from London at 2200. That's 2300 here in Milan. We are back tomorrow with another special edition of Midori House at the very same time. I'm Ben Ryland from the Salone del Mobile in Milan. Thank you for listening and good night.